In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. David Perdue keeps beefing up his right flank. When I got in this, a lot of people that supported us, a lot of them in the political establishment said, David, you're going to divide the party. My answer to that is no, it's already divided. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with co-host Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. This is the podcast we want you to depend on as the 2022 campaign heats up. If you're hearing us for the first time, Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And give us a review if you like it. This is our Friday Week in Review episode. So, Patricia, where have you been this week? I have been at the Capitol, and then I spent some time at the Capitol, and then inside the Capitol. It's been um, a little <laughs> bit one note, but there's so much going on. It feels like a different day every day. I have been out on the campaign trail, including with you. Don't forget, yep. Monday night, we were- Oh, God, I forgot that was the first week. rally. <laughs> Yes. Um, I was heading to Athens for another Stacey Abrams event, but she canceled because of rain. So otherwise, I've been just meeting around town after going to the Capitol as well for a couple of days this week. So coming up later, we'll look at why Herschel Walker's rivals are baffled that they can't get any traction so far. But we'll begin with David Perdue because he's been doubling down on a strategy to run farther to the right than Brian Kemp in this governor's race. Brian Kemp gave you Rassensburger. Who won't fight? They love those kinds of Republicans. They love those kinds of Republicans. That was Donald Trump Jr. He was called in earlier in March to help Purdue at a campaign rally in coming. My father is supporting David Purdue. But that Donald Trump endorsement still isn't getting as much attention as David Purdue wants. Patricia, that could start to change very soon. Donald Trump's coming for a rally in a week or so. But for now, David Perdue is trying to expand a little bit beyond his ace card of Trump by peeling off loyal Kemp voters in other ways. Yeah, and I think that he needs to. And I think it's pretty obvious that he needs to. There is a chance that there might be a few, I don't know how actually 40% of Republicans don't know that Donald Trump has endorsed David Perdue at this point, but there is a chance that they're not going to all know that by the time the primary rolls around. There's also a chance that every Republican is not going to see an endorsement from Donald Trump as a positive. He's not at 100% approval here in the party in the state. And so Purdue knows that he needs to do a lot of work to get himself from about 40% where he is right now in the polls um, to both bring himself up a little a little bit and then bring Brian Kemp down a little bit. So that is going to include uh, leaning hard on that message about Donald Trump, but then also finding other ways to differentiate himself from Brian Kemp. That means taking positions that are opposite of Kemp, even if they are or are not more conservative. It's just being not Brian Kemp. And that's his job right now. 
Yeah, and we're seeing that play out in different ways. Um, on policy level, you know, he, of course, he still opens with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is still at the center of his campaign. But in policy levels, we're hearing him speak more about his plan to abolish the state income tax. We're hearing, of course, about his opposition to the $5 billion proposed Rivian electric vehicle plant out in East Georgia. Um, we're still hearing him on the campaign trail talking about how he would support a Buckhead cityhood, even though that legislation is pretty much dead in the water this session after both Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan and Speaker David Ralston said it's a no-go. Um, and, you know, in tone too, I mean, when every other leading Republican other than Jody Heiss said that they wouldn't appear at Marjorie Taylor Greene's pro-gun rally after she appeared at a pro-Putin uh, event with white nationalists, David Perdue said, sign me up. He said he's still going uh, because he wanted the chance, in his words, to, to go speak to um, Second Amendment supporters. Um, and when most other Republicans are treating Vernon Jones, the congressional candidate who was a year ago a Democrat, as a pariah, as someone who they do not want to be pictured with, uh, David Perdue is actively campaigning with him. Yeah. And my question about this strategy, is David Perdue expanding his appeal or is he marginalizing himself? I really don't know the answer to that. When he's when he stays and remains so close to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Vernon Jones, it's very clear the voters he's trying to appeal to. But I don't know what that does to the rest of the GOP base. I don't think they're all Marjorie Taylor Greene supporters. I know they're not. Um, so I don't know if that paints uh, David Perdue as more likable or less likable, more like a leader or less like a leader. And, but it's a risk that he really does have to take because it's getting down to the point here where he needs to start making some moves. He needs to move his own poll numbers um, pretty significantly to get some momentum going here. And of course, the Donald Trump rally next weekend is going to help. Uh, I guess it, could, it should help, right? Except he'll have to share the stage with five other pro-Trump candidates that the former president all endorsed. Most recently, the insurance commissioner candidate. That's all. That's a, that's an entirely. That is a story worth that's its another own podcast. In a sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that could be a chapter in the uh, the book on the twenty twenty election. Um, but but no, really. I mean, uh, he'll have to share the stage with those, so it won't be all of his attention. But he'll get attention from that. Look, I've covered David Perdue his entire political career, which is about a decade, and he has relished the role as an underdog. He feels it seems like he feels more comfortable as the underdog than anything else. He was certainly the underdog during his 2014 Senate campaign. He was not in 2020. He was expected to defeat John Ossoff um, for a reelection. Right now, he is firmly in the underdog camp all over again. Uh, he seems to like it. He seems to like uh, presenting himself as the unapologetic politically incorrect conservative. Basically, he likes pitting himself as Brian Kemp pitted himself four years ago. Brian Kemp is the establishment now. Brian Kemp four years ago was the underdog who was taking on the establishment. Um, but Brian Kemp has, you know, responded to this by giving him little wiggle room on the right. You know, he's not going to call for the end of the uh, state income tax because that's $14 billion in revenue. Uh, he's going to go around the state promoting the fact that a $5 billion automaker is coming to Georgia and creating 7,500 jobs plus, right? Um, but he's also not giving uh, Purdue too much space in which to show those differences that you highlighted earlier. He, he's not giving him room really on the right beyond those, those few issues we already mentioned. 
I well, first of all, I completely agree that he prefers to be the underdog. He has a lot more spring in his step these days as a candidate challenging an incumbent governor. That really seems to be his happy place. He seemed to just be eternally uncomfortable um, as the incumbent senator. It just, I mean, I think that was a good part of why. He was not um, running away with that race before he lost it was that he just didn't seem to be happy out there. Didn't he wasn't digging in. He wasn't attacking. He wasn't showing up, really. And this is just a totally different David Perdue in style, but then also in substance. And although he was campaigning extensively with Brian Kemp just a year ago, year and a half ago. Now he has turned the page here to challenge Perdue. And because there's so little room on the right for him to really make hay with because Brian Kemp really is just conservative. There's just no other way around that. I've noticed that David Perdue is now taking attack of calling Brian Kemp corrupt and saying, particularly with that Rivian deal and in a poll that we have seen of Purdue and the messages that they are testing with Republican voters, there's one question in particular that says, are you worried that Brian Kemp is willing to rig this election for himself? So it's this this theme, not that Brian Kemp is not conservative, but that he's a liar and he's not trustworthy and he's in it for himself and he's corrupt. And that's a message that Trump voters love. And it's actually a message I think that um, many voters respond to. Whether they'll actually line that up with Brian Kemp to me is really remains to be seen. But it's a slightly different message that I've heard Purdue leaning into. And I think it's an important uh, addition to his uh, Bolitrix. Yeah, that push poll, Patricia, that you mentioned was, um, I obtained it from a couple sources who uh, who all took that call um, from, a, you know, they, assuming from a pro-Purdue group, if not the Purdue campaign itself. Um, but you're right, it, it used the word rig, and it used the word rig in an unusual way because it talked about legislation that Kemp allies put forward uh, to allow him and other leadership, you know, other state leaders, including some Democrats, uh, but really a lot of powerful incumbents to raise unlimited cash. And you can already kind of see um, uh, maybe a, a line of attack if the election is close that Purdue's folks can say, hey, he's trying to rig it. Um, you know, and those messages, as we know, can get out of control. Another unique message that I heard that we usually hear Republicans targeting Democrats for is inflation, right? Um, Republicans are already loving to blame Joe Biden and his allies on the on the really soaring inflation that we're facing here in Georgia. Um, but in this case, we saw messaging blaming Kemp for presiding over record levels of inflation. So we'll see how far that goes, because that, that could just confuse some voters. I've been interested. Typically, governors are able to wall themselves off from the national economy and national economic trends. But it is the truth that Brian Kemp has been in charge of the state at the same time as uh, President Biden has been in Washington. And at the same time, uh, inflation has gone up significantly. Prices have gone up significantly. People are feeling that. So if uh, David Perdue is going to blame one person like Joe Biden, may as well blame everybody, <laughs> everybody in charge, which is Brian Kemp. And so I don't think it's a totally um, off the wall thing to try to pin on Governor Kemp. But typically, voters don't blame governors for national trends like that. And the Kemp governor's staff, Governor Kemp's staff, staff of the Capitol, I think have been really masterful at pushing this message of how strong 
the Georgia economy is, even while COVID was going on, even while inflation has been spiking, and even while there were a lot of employment troubles around the country, Governor Kemp's staff has been laser focused on pushing out all that good economic news from Georgia every time they have it. And so you and I have been inundated with it. Um, Every week there is something about uh, a surplus in the budget, uh, 500 jobs coming to Georgia, and it's all coming straight out of the governor's office. So they have been very mindful of pushing a solid economic message, especially as a Republican governor, He's been super focused on that. And so this is a message they have been um, sort of seeding the ground with for years. And well, I think that's going to do him some good coming up here. It's really interesting because you're exactly right. Two things can be true at the same time. We could have a record budget. We could have record low unemployment. We could have bursting at the seams state coffers. At the same time, there's a lot of economic uncertainty over gas prices over inflation with household goods over scarcity of certain household products so there's kind of a dual message going on there that again might confuse some voters because you know we hear all this good news but then the same time republicans will be criticizing the not so good news coming out of the national out of washington and of course you know the fuel prices um we've we've seen um this week governor kemp and and bipartisan lawmakers jump on the idea of a suspending the state gas tax. Um, Democrats are also, of course, pushing a federal suspension of gas taxes at the same time. So um, you're, 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 you know, you're hearing both parties try to connect with voters over their their understanding of voters' struggles with inflation rates. Um, but right now, Republicans feel like this is a great issue to pin on Democrats in general and to kind of get away from more of the Trump uh, feuding. Uh, type narrative that, of course, we've also been talking about. Oh, yeah, 100%. Also, Governor Kemp um, has pushed through a tax refund to Georgians, a tax cut for Georgians, a pay raise for teachers. There, It, it is the fact that there is so much money in state coffers right now. It gives Kemp a lot of room to run on these economic issues, um, including really significant tax cuts that we could be seeing here, um, as well as tax refunds they are going to hit right about the time of the primary. <laughs> so I'm I'm sure that's not on purpose. That would be really cynical sure of me to is. say. <laughs> but um, but that's just, that is one example of many of why being an incumbent governor is really helpful when you need to set yourself up for re-election. And another example before we go to break, fundraising. You know, we already know that Governor Kemp has far outraised David Perdue. Him and Stacey Abrams were, were, well, at least somewhat on the same page, um, the last fundraising report. But David Perdue has only raised about $1.1 million over the first two months, despite calling in some favors from his former, you know, from his once loyal donors. A lot of them are staying on the sidelines. Same time, though, Donald Trump held a fundraiser for him this past week. Um, His campaign, uh, Perdue's campaign, says it raised him $600,000. We also know something else now. Um, David Perdue is worth $50 million, and we're told that he wrote his campaign a check. We're not sure exactly how big that check is, I've been asking, but we know he's dipping into his own personal fortune. We're not sure how deeply he's dipping in, but certainly he's got some money to spend if he wants to, so that could change the dynamic a little bit more too. And one more thing that could change the dynamic in terms of money, an outside group has now spent a half a million dollars boosting David Perdue. So some more reinforcements are coming in from David Perdue from the outside. Yes, if there is a um, a silent majority of donors out there, 
the place that that could show up is in dark money because there's no way to know exactly who's giving to those dark money groups. And so we do know that dark money group, the super PAC, is going to be up uh, with half a million dollars for Purdue. Um, I don't know that there is a silent majority of donors, by the way, but um, we we know that people are very loath to put their name on a form that is publicly disclosed with you with yourself giving money against the incumbent governor. The most that powerful very, guy in the state. Yeah, as yeah. very dangerous for somebody to do. Even if they weren't for Brian Kemp, they wouldn't write a check to him because they know uh, that that would be public. And then the governor would know that they were trying to unseat the governor. And so there are these dark money groups. I have not heard of a flood of uh, dark money coming in, but that is just something to keep a really close eye on. What is that group doing uh, that does not have to disclose its donors? And another thing that I've talked to Republicans about is the Trump effect in terms of fundraising, because they are having these Mar-a-Lago fundraisers, I have certainly noticed that the Trump name never shows up on people's disclosures. Donald Trump does not write checks to these candidates. He hosts them at Mar-a-Lago, but he, Tiffany Trump is not writing a check. Donald Trump Jr. is not writing a check. They are not supporting these candidates financially. Um, but a Republican I talked to yesterday said, look, the Trump uh, the Trump endorsement alone is worth so much earned media. It is worth so much free publicity that that is worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in all the ads you could run all day. You're going to get as much or more bounce out of just a, a Donald Trump visit and a Donald Trump endorsement. And so they they are not holding that lack of uh, cash coming his way against Donald Trump. That is why, while both Governor Kemp and Stacey Abrams haven't really mentioned David Perdue, neither of them are counting him out. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards... Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We are back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, here with co-host Patricia Murphy. Reminder, read the jolt. It is your daily set up for what matters in Georgia politics. And if you want to join us, please head to subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcasts and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcasts to get your first month for 99 cents so you can always know what's really going on and press on. Now to the GOP primary for Senate. And this quote we got in an op-ed from candidate Kelvin King sums up how the contenders are feeling about trying to upset Herschel Walker. Okay, here's the quote. This is a campaign, not an autograph tour for those who can pay an access fee, end quote. <laughs> Gary Black's campaign, he's the agriculture commissioner, it's also getting aggressive with its attack ads on Herschel Walker's history. After the violence, the abuse, the stalking, the death threats, 
Herschel Walker still has not been forthright with the people of Georgia. Not about his violent behavior or the threats he has made against women and police. So we have to wonder how many more women are out there and what stories might they tell? That attack ad with a requisite ominous soundtrack is part of Gary Black's. There's really a two-minute ad where it detailed a lot of the allegations that we've reported in the AJC and we've seen in other outlets that Democrat Senator, Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock will certainly use against Herschel Walker if he's the nominee in November. And then we also have uh, an example of an unforced error, maybe, from Herschel Walker's recent appearance at a Sugar Hill church. Now think about this, because at one time, science said man came from apes. Did it not? I've, That's I, when you, know, you go I, to the every, science. Every time I read or hear that, I think to myself, you just didn't read the same Bible I did. Well, well this was interesting, though. If that is true, why are there still apes? Think about it. You know, now you're getting too smart for us. No, 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 no. Think about this. We have an evolution that is we've gotten so intelligent that if that is true, why are there still apes? And then the conception of a baby. Let me tell you, science can't do that. They still trying to do it, but it can't because there had to be a God. Okay, Patricia, um, beyond all the, uh, as we said, unforced errors, the stumbles, the bizarre and baffling statements, because we've heard a lot of them from Herschel Walker. No one, none of his opponents seem to be gaining any any legitimate traction in the polls we've seen, at least. We've seen Herschel Walker at 60, 70, 80% of the vote. Even when he's at 60, though, we haven't seen any of his opponents kind of run away with this thing. They're in the single digits. So the question that we have right now is not whether or not Herschel Walker can get above 50% and avoid a runoff, but it's can all these other, his four or so other opponents, can they together get 50% of the vote? You know, and I just haven't seen that evidence yet. Not to say it couldn't happen, but I'll put it this way. We have not seen Herschel Walker mention the names of any of his opponents once. Maybe someone else out there has heard it. I haven't. Um, certainly it's not a part of a sustained offenses and offensive and nor have we heard his campaign take any real big shots. You know, they've played defense some when, 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 you know, one of his rivals attacked them, but we haven't heard them go out of their way to attack Latham Sadler, Kelvin King or Gary Black yet this this cycle. Yeah, he we also know he's not going to debate his other three Republican mm-hmm. rivals. And it makes sense when you think about it, because he is in this lane all by himself. And he was at 70% before he got into this race. Uh, there were a couple of public polls out before he got into this race and declared that he would run. And he has stayed right around there around 70%. As you said, sometimes he's down around 60%. Um, but it's without anybody else gaining a point for themselves practically. And so I have to say, talking to Georgians and talking to GOP voters, there is a quality about Herschel Walker's appeal that is not at all unlike Donald Trump's appeal and that voters feel like they have known this guy for 30 years. They Some of them feel like they've known him their whole lives. And there's nothing that anybody in the media or from a rival Republican campaign is going to say to them to change their mind unless it's huge. And so he has this kind of Teflon quality. When you drive around Georgia, the flags that you see are an American flag, a Trump flag, and a University of Georgia flag. I mean, that's just the way it is in rural Georgia. And uh, and Herschel Walker 
is in the middle of that vortex. He just rings all the bells. He is beloved by people who remember him. And he is also very well known among younger Georgians uh, because of what their parents told them about Herschel, because of all of the um, audio and video they've seen of Herschel Walker. He's just a legend in the state. It's hard to even describe it to people who are not from Georgia. And so uh, none of this information that's come out about him, about his past violent history, about his um, businesses that are not really the business background that he portrays on the campaign trail about, uh, you know, defaults, bankruptcies, outstanding loans, PPP loans that he took for his businesses. Um, the businesses are much smaller than advertised. None of that has mattered, really. And so mm -hmm. you understand really the desperation that these other candidates are getting to. They've been really gloves off of Walker for a long time, except for Gary Black. And now we see all three of them understanding now they have got to become the alternative to Herschel Walker if they have any hope. And they've got to get Walker under 50 percent to even make that make a difference. And that that looks like a very heavy lift right now. And you mentioned his business background. You can see, you can find a in-depth report from myself and our one of our investigative reporters, Dylan Jackson, uh, on the AJC.com that goes into great detail about that business background. But you're right. Look, this is also why that the, that appeal that you mentioned. This is also why that Raphael Warnock's uh, campaign is not taking his threat lightly at all. You're right. There are some narrative in the national media that you know Democrats are salivating to take on Herschel Walker because he's so vulnerable. But those very reasons that you just said he was so popular in the Republican primary, they also play in the general. Um, you know, people like me who grew up in Georgia, people like you, we remember we heard stories about Herschel Walker from our childhood, right? Um, even from parents like mine who weren't big Georgia fans. Uh, you know, I still remember his name as I was growing up in sort of the beginning of his heyday, uh, in, 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 at least on the, on the athletic field. So that still holds true. And I've talked to Democratic strategists who are very nervous about um, about this Teflon-like quality that you just mentioned. Um, you know, it, it's, it's made him very, at least seemingly invulnerable in the Republican primary. But you know, even with a general electorate, even with, um, with swing voters or with moderate voters who are concerned about his, all those things you mentioned about his business background, his baffling statements, his bizarre behavior, his violent, um, violent allegations against him, who still might say, well, given all that, I still don't like Joe Biden. I still don't like Democratic policies. Um, I still don't like, you know, some of Raphael Warnock's votes and still might support him. Yeah. I mean, you could you could envision uh, the voter out there that says, eh, I'm not in love with Herschel Walker, but I don't want a Democratic Senate with Joe Biden anymore. That's my that's my issue. And we've seen that really turn uh, really turn elections in the past before. And so it is uh, the longer that Herschel Walker can uh, stay alive, uh, not get a glove put on him. Uh, really, on honestly, the less he says, the better at this point, um, not debating his his rivals is probably the right way to go right now, frankly, um, because he does not seem to be ready for that kind of a debate. The big risk comes and in the general election. Doesn't need one. Doesn't, why would you do it? Why would you change a thing at this point? Just keep doing I mean, what you're doing. As a reporter, doing. it pains. Yeah, as a reporter, it pains me to say that, right? But but of course, you know, put on the strategist hat. If you're at 70% in the polls, um, and look, even his, even some of his opponents, even some of the people who are critical of him will privately say, the only way he's not going to win the nomination is if, if he pulls out or if you know he you know does something terrible on camera. 
Yes. The the huge risk comes, though, once you're in a general election, you are the Republican nominee. Now uh, Republicans' hopes on keeping the Senate are riding on your shoulders. And if he goes into a debate with Raphael Warnock, having never done a debate at all, that's a huge risk that I have talked to. Other Republicans are extremely uncomfortable with that concept. They would like to see Herschel Walker loosening up in this space and uh, uh, taking questions from uh reporters who are not either local reporters or Fox News or Newsmax, you know, talking to the AJC, doing debates, having back and forth, because it's a skill. It's a learned skill that the more you practice, the better you are. We even saw um, somebody like Kelly Loeffler was super tight at the beginning of her campaign. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of a year, she got so much better. Now, she did not win her election, but in terms of a quality candidate, she was just totally different on the stump, totally different with reporters in a debate setting. That was the best That was the best version of Kelly Loeffler that there ever was by the time she had really been putting in the work and practicing and just getting out there. It's just getting out there is important as a candidate. It, and Walker's not doing that. And as much as Republicans love that he's up in the polls, they're afraid that it's not going to take much to puncture that, especially with a general electorate. Got it. Well, let's get to one of our favorite segments of the week. Who's up? Who's down? Peaches and pits, uh, nuts and bolts. Um, let's talk about, for me at least, who was down this week. Horse racing. Uh, <laughs> yes. Was, I watched that debate very closely. And uh, we thought that J- Senator Jeff Mullis, the retiring, outgoing uh, Republican Rules Committee chair, would have enough votes to get horse racing passed. He didn't. But this is by no means means it is a dead issue. He's going to find some way to at least um, get it c- closer to the finish line. But for now, uh, the, the prospect of expanded gambling in Georgia is a loser for the week. Yes, don't take your, your but your don't take your bets off the table, Georgia. I'm not ready yeah, to yeah, bet yeah. against horse racing quite <laughs> yet. You <laughs> just never know. You just never know. Continue. Yeah, my up, my peaches, whatever. It's got to be Stacey Abrams. Um, yeah. Not only because she came up with a uh, her financial report showed her a much better financial standing. She went from four years ago about four hundred thousand dollars of net worth. Now she's more than three million. She's made millions of dollars off her book sales, off of her speaking speaking gigs off of other uh, things that we re- we outlined in the AJC report. Um, but really, you know, the, the big issue was that the, the same kind of concerns that dogged her back in 2018 about not paying her back taxes, about $50,000. She doesn't have to worry about that anymore because she's a millionaire three or four times over right now. Um, and But, you know, the secondary reason she's probably the up this week is she's a huge star trekker. I'm, I'm told it's not Trekkie, but she's a star trekker. And uh, as I tweeted a couple, uh, you know, yesterday, she got to star in an episode of Star Trek Discovery, and it probably was uh, probably one of the bigger moments of her life. You know, imagine just being a, a fan of uh, a huge fan of something and being able to not only uh, be a, have a cameo in it, but a starring cameo, a big time cameo as the president of United Earth. Yes. Yeah. She wasn't just the president. She was the president of the earth. That might be as high as Stacey. No matter what she wins in the future, that might be her highest moment. Uh, in a lot of ways, she's probably like, okay, I'm done. I guess I'll run for governor, but I'm already president of the United Earth. <laughs> She'll take the Republican backlash uh, <laughs> yeah, that she is exactly. getting online uh, for that moment, I'm sure. 
Exactly. Okay, so let's see. My who's up and who's down. Um, who's up, uh, not up a ton, but up. I'm going to give it to David Perdue. This is a good week for him right now. Um, we have learned that he is putting some of his own money into his campaign. I know other donors wanted to see that. He's got this Donald Trump fundraiser coming his way. And or actually had it last night. And then he's got Donald Trump coming into town for him uh, March 26th. So I think he's on an upswing and we'll see how far he can take this. I'll be really interested to see how much if that moves the polls of hearing more from Trump and co helps uh, David Perdue. But I think he's on the upswing right now. And for me, who's down? I think I have to give it to Herschel Walker. The comments about evolution made national headlines. He needs to start making national headlines um, for other reasons. And I I do think also he should get out more and just be in the public more and uh, just uh, break the seal, Uh, do interviews with the AJC, (laughs) except a few to things, (laughs) Uh, give people more to talk about than the gaffes because he does have a story to tell. And the wider he tells that story, I think it will behoove him in the end. Before we get out of the show for the week, a reader mailbag question. Lucas Moroni of Savannah asks, what is the most frustrating thing about your job? Patricia, mine is kind of easy. It's all the back end stuff. I love writing and reporting, you know, telling stories of Georgians, bringing, helping to bring the news. I hate all the logistics that goes into that, the, the, you know, the behind the scenes bureaucratic stuff, um, because it just blocks us from doing our job. <laughs> what about love you? Love it. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day, Mr. Maroney from um, Savannah. It's a big day in Savannah for the Irish. The most frustrating, I have two frustrating parts. One is people who lie to me. People actually still Yeah, that lie. sucks too. It, boy, that drives me. Because I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out. Don't lie to me. And then uh, the other second frustrating part is that there's only 24 hours in the day. And I often feel like I need 48 hours. So those are my two frustrations. I don't know. I can change either one of those, but I will I'll live with them and do my best. Well, folks, that is about all the time we have for our show. Remember, we'll have a special edition of Politically Georgia podcast that talks about the behind the scenes story of writing the book Flipped, my book on the Georgia 2020 elections that is out on Tuesday, March 22nd. We can't wait for you to listen to it. I am very excited about that. We also have the return of the Braves report to talk about a lot of things that I didn't want to talk about. I should have said the loser Oh, it's Freddie Friedman. Uh, that's a different story. I'm still very yeah, that's conflicted. That's my loser. That's my loser. Yeah, I'm still very conflicted about how this will play out. And I have lots of spirited debates with my friends and my brothers about whether or not the Braves um, made a giant mistake by not getting Freddie We don't need him. We don't need contract. him. We are moving forward. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Myself and uh, Justin Toscano will talk all about that uh, <laughs> on the next station of the Braves Report, which will come out over the weekend. I really can't wait because I love listening to that podcast and anything that, that sheds light on the Braves' current situation because, you know, I like some of the other signings. I'm just, I'm up in the air. Please rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe. We will talk to you again on Tuesday on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities, 
Atlanta's thriving art scene, and the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,